0: Bottom line up front, what are you going to hear about and learn about in this episode? I interviewed Mariana Hebborn, lead of data governance for the healthcare sector at Merck Group Germany. And to be clear, that's not Merck, the pharmaceutical company. So some key takeaways or thoughts from Mariana's point of view. One, it's crucial to answer, why are you doing data governance? Is it for improving data quality, better data security? Know what you are trying to achieve to best focus your efforts. Number two, make it easy for people to understand how and why to share their knowledge with the rest of the organization. The people mindset is really, really is the most important aspect of successful digital and or data transformation. Number three, most everyone knows we need to go to federated data governance. But the big question is how? How can we do it safely? How can we evolve? It isn't a simple switch we can flip. Number four, to drive buy-in for moving from a centralized data governance approach, we need to show the benefits of federated when done well versus a monolithic approach. Number five, at the end of the day, governance is about conversation and missioning. Why should you care about governance? What value will it drive for your organization? Answer those questions first. Number six, We need to find ways to organize closer to the source to capture far more domain knowledge when sharing data. Centralized teams just can't understand the context in a large and complex organization. Number seven, this one's a little bit more controversial. Most data access should be to packaged insight, you know, the computational result rather than the raw data itself. Most people consuming information want the insights, not the raw data. Number eight, who should have access to what data is far less cut and dry than we'd like. It is much more about what's in the data and the specific usage. So domains need to understand some clear rules, but make the decisions because they understand the data itself far better. Number nine, quote unquote, the best data owners and data stewards are found, not made. Number 10 we need to get to a place mentally where data governance is so ingrained, there's never a question of if we should be doing it. Number 11, start with looking to better govern the data that is already generating good value or is otherwise important first. Don't try to govern govern all the data at the start, right? You, It's again, it's not a switch to flip. Number 12, if data consumers aren't sure if it's allowed and or appropriate to use data in a certain way, It is on their shoulders to ask. Data owners and stewards can only set rules that go so far. Otherwise, data owners and stewards cannot feel comfortable giving others access to their data. Number 13, everyone should be able to browse what data is available, even if they cannot have access by default. You can find more use cases that data consumers wouldn't have thought were possible or available. And finally, number 14. Lack of knowledge of the law and regulations does not protect you from the law and regulations. Don't be naive. Okay, enough of just me. Let's hear from our awesome guest in this interview episode. excited for today's episode. I've got Mariana Heborn here, who's the lead uh, of data governance for the healthcare sector at Merck Group in, in Germany. And Merck Group is different than kind of the healthcare pharma company of Merck. And so we want to make sure that's not uh, confusing. And then uh, Emmanuel Schweizer, a, a previous guest, was also at Merck Group. So i um, excited for this one. Um, we're going to be talking about a couple of different things within the, the federate or in the governance space, including, you know, how do you do access control in a federated model? How good is good enough and things like that? How can you balance the access by default and compliance? Because that's always a concern, a lot of things as well around that. How to stop writing frightening governance policies? Uh, Laura Madsen had been on, and she was like, "Stop writing policies in general because they be- do become this thing of they are very intimidating for a lot of people." And then, how can we have governance as a value add function in a federated model? Like, and how do we balance value with risk and compliance, and you know, that proactive governance to actually add value, which is is something that's been through a lot of the The conversations on governance because it's so important that people are afraid to work with governance and, and or, or frustrated if they have to. So we want to make that no longer the case. And you know, just kind of the general idea of adding value through governance. So with that as kind of the backdrop, uh, before we jump in, Mariana, if you could give people a bit of background on yourself, and then we can jump into the conversation at hand.
1: Thank you, Scott. Thank you for having me. Um, uh, Very shortly about me, I'm really um, um, enthusiastic about data. That's my background. That's where um, I um, studied. I did my PhD in semantics and worked for IBM um, and for Fujitsu and for a big run-off insurance company in Germany, always in the data field, um, data analytics, data transformation, digitalization. And um, at the end, um, I saw that, all the different um, dimensions of data, they are really connected around data literacy and data governance. And I decided to take over a more dedicated role like the data governance that is really um, at the heart of all the different data management dimensions. And uh, that's how I um, came to my current role. And uh, that's how I'm uh, really um, willing to contribute to um, leveraging the potential of, of the digital and data for an organization.
0: And it's, it's funny because a lot of people get into governance kind of by mistake. They get pulled in versus the, <laughs> hey, like I, I see the value of this. I want to move into it. But that is becoming more of the story of, of more people saying hey i see the value in this and i see why it's been done incorrectly and where this could have a lot more value if we do it right so let's let's focus on doing it right so it's, it's good to hear that story
1: <laughs> it's nice to hear that uh, the amount of people thinking like that is increasing it's a long journey but i think step by step we are uh, getting there <laughs>
0: I I just don't think I would have the patience to do it, but I think uh, I, I uh, admire the people who do. I think it's uh, it's great. So, um, so let's talk about the the concept of of in general where we need to head with governance because when we're thinking about you know in data mesh or in general that we can't have these centralized committees that are making the decisions. Centralized committees can be useful. They can make the guidelines, they can make the standards, but they can't make the day-to-day decisions without becoming a bottleneck. If you're at any significant scale, right? If you're if you've got a central governance committee of of three people for a team of you know, and it's just the data leaders, and it's and it's a team of you know, a hundred people, and the data team is you know five seven people or whatever. It's like okay, yes, that works because they can get enough context. But how how have you thought about Moving more and more away from that and having people be still comfortable. Like, how do we think about moving towards that federated model? And then we can talk specifically about kind of how access control plays into that. But like just overall the the broad strokes that you think are necessary towards getting into that federated model.
1: Um, thank you. Yes, that's a very good question. How? Because everyone knows that we need to go there. And um, there is um, always um, the objective we need. Um, we, we need to become more data-driven. We need to um, uh, meet fact-based decisions. But the, the journey there um, is, is a long one. And it depends, in my opinion, it depends on the industry. Mm-hmm. If we look at a pharmaceutical, at the pharmaceutical industry, at the financial industry, at um, at the insurance industry, all those industries, they are long-term evolving industries. They are not new. And um, the, the specific thing to them is that the people working in those industries they have their mindset and um, um, it's not matter of a course that those mindsets are data driven that the data are really um, tangible they're, they're, they're data literals um, it's really about people who are working in those organizations and they need to um, operate in a decent, decentralized model they need to Think about how should I organize my data, my processes in this decentralized model. Because the monolithic model is a good one if it works well. So um, the idea is also um, a very uh, pragmatic one. We have one instance, we have one team We can reach out to. um, We can organize everything around that. But um, in in the time where the data volume is increasing, the um, requests are increasing. We saw that that's a bottleneck. And this decentralized model um, helps to um, to feel the pain of the others because no nobody can feel my pain. And this is how can we organize. the the knowledge the people close to the source and uh, let them communicate to uh, with each other um, and share their knowledge in a domain not not in this uh, one team and uh, turning loops and trying to um, to reach out to people that are already really more than busy with a lot of requests. And the way to bring the people to communicate with each other, to organize um, themselves in a domain, in a team, to share their knowledge is, in my opinion, to communicate with them, to show them the benefit um, in comparison to the monolithic approach. What does it mean to me to um, share the knowledge about my interactional data in HR with my uh, peer in the HR department, with the um, analytics expert in the HR department who um, is there to analyze the capabilities of, of the um, applicants. What does it mean to me to um, to have someone um, uh, from data privacy, from law and compliance. I can talk about, um, the, for example, the data um, in, the, in my HR or finance department. And then how can we organize this knowledge so that the people outside from our domain can access it? And um, how can we really... Um, um, give this self-service structure to the people who who don't have the background of the HR expert or of the financial expert. This is not something that belongs to the common language knowledge. So the people need to understand why should they do that? How should they do it? Where should they share it? And I think the only way to, to reach that, to uh, uh, accomplish such a, a level of maturity to, and to, to have a decentralized uh, uh, organization of the data is to communicate with the people and to let them, um, to let them understand what, what is the, um, uh, the benefit for them, what is in uh, it for them. Uh, when they put so, so much effort in in something that works somehow, because they they work with the data, they have their reports, they um, they can um, hire people maybe in the organization. The problem to um, get the things right is that this um, awareness or um, they the tangible need of getting the things right is not that present to the people and that's i think the communication is really the um the mean how the people are going to understand and to see what is in it for them in um being a steward in being an owner in being a data provider or a consumer,
0: and, and I think it's it's difficult because decentralized and federated kind of overlap in meaning, but also not because we don't want it to be decentralized in that every team has to know exactly how to do everything. Versus, can we give them the capabilities so they can make the right decisions? Um, right and so we give them the ability to do the things automatically that don't that that matter that they get done but it doesn't matter that they relative to their own knowledge and their own decision because it's like this is just that we we want to do these checks against this to see are you in compliant uh use and if you're not Let's talk about it because it may be that you don't actually have to adhere to this compliance for these reasons. You know, it doesn't have PII or it doesn't have this, but like you, you provide those automated capabilities, but that it's, it's so that way people don't have to learn every aspect of it. And they've got a safety net and they've got that, you know, if it's all decentralized, that doesn't work. It's kind of the same thing with, um, uh, with like microservices and things like that, where if it's just everybody doing whatever they want, there's no standardization, none of it works. It's all just chaos versus can you communicate to them how to play well together instead of how to play well in their own in their own little sandbox, right? Versus, hey, it's a playground. Like we all need to play together. And so you get to go do what you want. But within certain bounds and
1: rules. Yes, I think I think that's maybe a misunderstanding of the principle how the decentralized model works. If we if we look at, um, at the concept of, of the data mesh with data products and with the federated model, um, there is a um, um, inter operational organization in between cross-domain interaction. And um, this um, uh, cross-domain interaction should... uh, take place. Otherwise, we have the silos again. And um, I think this is the the biggest benefit um, to um, break down the monolithic bottleneck to domains, but to let them really uh, communicate with each other, to have the cross-domain interchange um, in order to uh, uh, scale better, to um, uh, mine the silos, and to to get access to that part of the data that is interesting for you. And this doesn't work without a proper governance. That's why um, the federated governance is one uh, of the main uh, elements of the data mesh. Um, Without knowing who is responsible for what, It doesn't work. It doesn't work in projects. That's why we have project governance and we have the project management. It doesn't work in processes. We have also the process governance and the process management. For applications, we already have um, application governance and application management, but there is a gap for the data. And um, with the data mesh concept, Chemak the uh, she uh, field this gap. and it's more or less the same principle that we organize the the experts around the field and these experts they need to provide really the rules around one data set and other experts need not the entire information about this data set, and they need to get or uh, access only to the information they are interested in. And this is how we mitigate um, effort and accelerate uh, data exchange and accelerate this data-driven um, development of organizations.
0: Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. I think a lot of what you're talking there is kind of, again, encouraging people and, and not necessarily setting the rules as to this is the way you must communicate versus this is a good way to communicate. This is a good way to collaborate so we all benefit and that we're going to make it lightweight on you so that it's not everybody has their own requests and they all flow in onto you and now you have all this extra work and that you're beholden to all of these people i think that it one thing that i've i've talked about is the data producers get really concerned about am i going to all of a sudden have 8 million requests right and that's that's a big <laughs> issue so i wanted to talk about how this actually gets kind of applied and, and we had talked in the pre-call about this in, in access control, because I think a lot of people get the idea of, you know, when Jamak kind of lays out her picture of, well, we should have access control that's just easy and works. People are like, oh, I must fully automate it. And it's like, no, that's what the vendors are telling you versus like, what does federated access control look like? How good is good enough at the start? How good is good enough? When you're three, five years in and you've built up your capabilities, but like, let's talk about when you're looking at access control, because I know you, you all are doing a bit of a different approach, even you're, you're creating almost what I'm calling now a, a data Shrek, which is a purposeful swamp, because you're creating this, this space where there's a collaboration space, where everybody can see what data could be on offer, but it's not ready to be integrated until somebody says this is the way we want it and how. So there's a lot of potential for misuse if you don't do that correctly, but there's also kind of setting the expectations of you don't just get to, to immediately move it into production. So a lot of background there, but I think let, let's start about with the, the conversation about access control and what what is good enough when you think about federated access control, because that's been the thing that people really think of as the most risky aspect of stuff.
1: Yes, um, I think, um, the idea of central access and central control is, is a good one, but it's maybe only the belief that it works, um, properly. Because, um, we, we, we give first, um, access to a data set. So people are allowed to, to see a data set or not. Um, and, um, But I think the access control is more about the um, content of the data and organizing um, the data in in data assets, in data products. Um, Then we uh, link the rules to the data, the the requirements to the data um, and to the data asset. And then we are more aware of who should be um, granted access to, and why and why not, and then in this in this case, if I organize my data as a um, HR data, financial data, um, medical data, commercial data, um, I if if I engage the experts um, and if they share their knowledge about the retention, the quality, the access, then I can say, okay, um, then um, commercial or people from the commercial department, they can see different attributes and different tables from my data asset. And um, for the rest of the data, um, I don't need to grant them access because it's incompliant. and I can. It's much easier to to do that per data asset, and to um, to give them the to grant them the access for this um, part of data than to to let the access team, the access permission team, um, to set up uh, uh, restrictions to um, to govern different access groups. Um, to uh, let the people know why they are not allowed to to access this data, I think even for for the rules um, that will be applied to the to the people uh, who want to access the data, for those rules we we need different knowledge. We need different um, um, metadata. And um, in, in the decentralized um, organizational approach makes it much easier than um, to have um, a huge amount of different domain-specific restrictions and then try to organize them in a, um, um, AD or um, in another uh, rule-based approach. Um, Approach where one team, without um, expert knowledge about the uh, background of this access, um, can decide why person A should see the part of this data and why not. And I think this this idea of of the data mesh, that that not data but the um, the computational uh, um, the computational um, uh, result uh, based on data should be um, should be the um, the content where um, where people uh, should try to get access to or not, because um, for for different business um, users it's not really useful to see the physical data. Um, as they are stored in a data warehouse, or um, they they want to see more or less um, the analytical um, uh, result based on those data, and this is maybe um, a step uh, one step further when we um, start granting access in uh, a decentralized uh, model. This is something that will help us to, to reach or to come closer to, to the objective of being more data driven and um, uh, meeting our uh, decisions on a fact base and not only on um, guessing and um, without, without the support of, of the data driven decision making.
0: Yeah, and and let's uh, let's unpack a, a, a bit of that because I think what you're talking about is one one thing that has been through a lot of discussions is that there is uh, access by default, but then there's also access by request, and that you don't want to. I make this joke about there's a book that's. Uh, what you learn at Harvard Business School, and then, or what they teach you at Harvard Business School, and then there's another book that says what they don't teach you at Harvard Business School. So, like, if you look at the actual like whole set of human knowledge, there's one set, and there's you know, it, it's it's that joke. But we can't account for every aspect, and so we also need to create fast lanes to requests and communication. But that you can you can set these general rules without a lot of effort as to, Hey, if somebody wants access to this PII, we have to have a discussion, right? I have to know why it's not a, no, we have it in our data product for a reason, but I don't have to beforehand. You know, there's another story that I use of this guy in Japan, um, who is staying at a hotel and, um, he, uh, in the electric kettle, he boiled some crabs. And so the whole room stunk like crabs, right? Like he just smelled (laughs) up the entire room, stunk it up. And so he, um, you know, the hotel tried to charge him and he was like, well, there wasn't a written rule that said, no, you can't, you can't actually cook crabs in the room. And so like that aspect of it is, um, it's a, uh, it's something that I think is, is really funny because there's certain things that you can't always say ahead of time, right? Like you can't say this, don't do this, do this, like because of that. And so you have to communicate that to people as well, that it's like, these rules aren't hard and fast. So, um, you know, a, a, a lot of, of, uh, sorry, unpacking on my end, but I think it's really important to, to talk through that, like what you just said of, of that, because, there should be people thinking, who should we give access to this? Why, how, all of that, like that's important, but um, it's also very important to have some leeway, have the the room for conversation if something comes up um, because it's, it, it, you can find those new things, those, those new potential big points of value. And so, yeah, I, I think that's a really important um, point that you were making throughout that. Um, when we talk about access control specifically, how much effort are you expecting the domains to put in up front versus that kind of reaction and creating the the positive? Thing? Is it that they're that you, the platform does a lot of the tag this as PII or tag this as as sensitive? Or you know, do you have very very specific roles and and you know within data mesh roles are changing so when people do RBAC, back you know role-based access control that can cause issues so like what what are you doing from that to start and where do you think you need to head with it and that right now it's good enough for where, where it is and you need to go forward
1: it's a very good question and this is um, in my opinion is um, um a people change mindset change question Imagine you will go um, in a you would go in a library and um, there is no catalog. There are a lot of books. The library is huge, and you want to find something. And you start reading. You ask here and there, and then you found something about um, animals in Europe. And This describes somehow the situation in a long-term evolving industry. We have a lot of data. They are there. And when we try to access them, some are maybe um, locked in a room, some are not. Um, And this is, um, we need to tidy up first. And we need to find out who is going to... um, help us to tidy up because there may be already people who, um, and they are people who already take care of. And um, I always say that the best data owners and data stewards are found, not made. Um, and this is the the biggest effort to, uh, to start organizing this access. If we, um, if we lock the entire uh, building and we let people in only if they ask us, only if they're, uh, they have a, a respective uh, document, that is OK. But that's a lot of effort because maybe the queue will be um, too long. Um, and if we try to organize the books in a kind of a catalogue uh, with authors and also with location and with the bare minimum of um um information about um what is the book about, uh who is responsible for this book, where um are the what are the main topics that will um, help us to find the different um, corners in the library and to sort the books. And this is how uh, we proceed in the, in the data governance. So we don't have the demand on completeness. We don't want to govern everything at once. We start with, with the books, with the um, data assets that are really um, assets that have value to the organization. And the people are uh, working in the organization are those who can um, decide if uh, um, a book with sales is uh, worth to be governed, or if the canteen menu is worth to be governed. Um, And then, um, in a second step, we need to identify uh, responsible owners for this data. I said responsible stewards, people who are really hands on the data and work on daily basis with the data. As I mentioned, there are already governance structures for processes and for applications and data are involved there. So this knowledge can be leveraged and um, all we need to do is to enable the people to act as a owner or as a steward. And this can be done, in my opinion, um uh, the fastest way to do that is to set up a workshop to communicate with the people. Um, what is the pain point of, um, let's say, the um, orders data? Um, we have um, uh, what they have also their questions, but um, um, the the step of finding out what is important is what data. Are important to the organization who is already working with those data, and then to enable the people to explain to the people what does it mean to be an owner um, when it's up to data governance. What does it mean um, to to um, act as a data steward, and what where they uh, can they share their knowledge? And this is, in my opinion, the data catalog. And I'm it could be um, A data catalog, uh, as many vendors understand it, like in sense of uh, data lineage. But this data catalog is really the tool of um, applying the data governance to the data asset. It shows what, who is, for example, in terms of data access, who is responsible to um, for for granting data access if that is not uh, per default for everyone, and why um, person A is not allowed to access the sales data, and in in um, in what case this access can be granted, and if People are not um, able to find in a data catalog a restriction for accessing the data. um, Then, who is responsible? uh, Who is the responsible data privacy officer or uh, um, uh, the instance they can uh, refer to in order to get an access? And this is why I always say everyone, no matter. regardless of the background should be able to browse the data and this is um uh with with a data catalog that that is possible to browse what data is available and the data access is a part of um of, of a rule that should be linked to a data asset and this is really something um when it's done by domain, by data asset, when people can access it, like we can access um, information in in uh, in the internet um, uh, with with Google or with other uh, search engines, this is something that that is not there, um, and this can really um, help us to um, to 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 get to the self-service platform to the self-service uh, structure we are always talking about and if there are any restrictions for the domain for the data asset we are interested in in this case we need we should be able to um, to help um, ourselves with with these self-service structures well and i think a
0: lot of what you were saying there is something that comes up a lot in, in data mesh, which is people think that you have to have all the answers up front, but there are cases you, you can know, okay, we shouldn't have everybody being able to access all of the sales data for the company, because if we're a public company, that's proprietary information and that can cause, you know, all sorts of, of other issues. But like, if somebody's in sales, they should be able to see, you know, certain, you know, aspects of the sales data and, and things like that, but that you also have the, if somebody doesn't know, right? Like you, you, you know, the broad strokes we're going to teach you. And you talked about working with the, the, the new stewards to say, what does it mean to be a data owner? You're finding the new data owners and making it not scary, right? Making it so that they, they feel like they can do this and that they don't have to learn an entirely new discipline. But that they can actually take this on because, again, governance has been scary and it's been, uh, you know, this kind of, you know, in all the 80s movies or whatever, where you've got kind of the uh, <laughs> nebulous committee and it's just like their heads floating in the thing and they're, they're making proclamations. And we, we can get past that with, with what you're talking about of, of like high empathy communication high empathy of like talking to people and saying like, how do we do this stuff together? So. Collaborating
1: with each other. Yes.
0: Yeah. And, and and communicating by default of saying like, Hey, these types of people don't have access for these reasons, but that you don't have to lay out every single reason. You don't have to say, um, Oh, I don't think I finished the story about the crab thing, but like the, the, the guy in the hotel, he, um, he, again, he tried to sue them and say, you didn't tell me that there wasn't any, um, any exact restriction saying, do not boil your crabs in your electric kettle. Cause he ruined the electric kettle and <laughs> they had to air out the room for multiple days, you know, a couple of weeks and they went back and forth and stuff, but that you can, t- you can tell data consumers as well. There's going to be certain places where you don't have access and it's not exactly laid out exactly why, but you have an avenue to having that conversation because you know Sarita Baxt at JPMorgan Chase, uh, who's who's helping lead their their data governance for their entire data mesh implementation, and she was talking about um, within financial services, there's a lot of you know you don't basically provide that that access by default just because it's very very um, easy to get into non-compliant use. And then the um, users actually register their use case. So if they go outside of their registered use case, it's not on the data producer, it's on the data consumer. Because the data consumer takes on the risk of saying, I am going to use this in this way. And so I, I do agree that there's lots of information that people should be able to at least see, and often they should be able to access, but that you can also have that thing where, Producers aren't, and and you know, Emmanuel and I had this conversation a little bit about um, if there's a, a use case that emerges of oh, you've got this data, like I want to put this into a data product, I want to power my own use case from this. It's not that it's an immediate you must start producing this in this way. It's it's a conversation, right? It's hey, you as a steward. I I need this because there's value in it. Okay, let's talk about prioritization. Let's talk about when this is going to happen. It's not that you immediately get access to something that is of low quality and you're treating it as if it has high quality. Let's talk about what quality you need, why, what's the value, what's the cost benefit of that. So you're not having to clean up all of your data for the sake of someone might use it, versus what what I got from a manual and what I'm getting from you is like it sparks conversations and then it sparks collaborative negotiation instead of combative negotiation of like, I have these requirements, you must serve all of my requirements versus like, what's the value of these requirements? A lot of this is about like that high context exchange and providing a space and a way like sharing with people how to do that. Like, how do you have these conversations where it's not like, it's not, it doesn't feel like it's a you must do this, it's a demand, it's a requirement, versus it's a request and it's a, d- does this make sense? This is what we're trying to do. And and yeah, I would love to, to kind of hear what you've learned from kind of heading down that pathway.
1: Um, as I mentioned, it depends in the industry. I've been working in long-term evolving industries, like insurance, pharmaceutical industry, um, financial industry. And that's not e-commerce. We are not Google where everything runs in the background and people don't ask, do we need it? Should we do it? Should we do data governance? I, I'm sure in the, in the data driven companies, that's, um, that's not a question. Um, in, in the, in a company, um, that has been um, there for 300 years, um, that's not, um, the, the state so uh, people need they need to go to the point where data governance runs in a background and the way to go there is um, uh, moving step by step we as i mentioned we can't start boiling the ocean and governing everything although we would like to so we need to start somewhere and it makes sense to start with the with the assets, with the data that are really, that they have value um, for the organization. And those data, um, in different cases, um, there are different reasons. Some of them are uh, valuable for the organization because they contain very sensitive data. Some of them are very valuable because uh, we um, generate return on investment with those data. Some of them are really important because everyone uses them across the organization. And this is um, um, in a federated, uh, in a decentralized data governance model um, where um, the Group level says what should be governed and um, the sector says how should it be governed. It works very well because the different domains can um, decide, okay, for us um, in the operations, um, the supply chain data are the most important and maybe the um, um, uh, financial data as well um, in the HR or maybe the... Um, um, Part of the master data in um, commercial are the interactional data, and for those data, um, the, um, the the so-called data governance representatives need to identify um, who are the people who already work with the data, who are the people who already have this knowledge um, around. Um, data access, for example. And I think this is the step-by-step approach, how organization um, should try to, to govern their data. And they need to have a tangible focus, why they want to to govern it maybe it's data quality maybe it's uh, cyber security <laughs> maybe it's uh, cyber security and data quality and data access uh, because um in this um, um with this approach they can move and they can scale better then um, trying to, to govern everything to setting up uh, restrictions uh, for all the data and, uh, um, um, as I mentioned, boiling the ocean that. That won't work. And it's very important that the governance with the, if a data owner is accountable, for example, um, to um, uh, for setting up an accurate data governance for creating a data catalog together with a, a stewardship team um, and every someone misuses the data, it's not the accountability of the data owner. The data owner should set the restrictions that, um, the financial data um, are not um, that there is not an access to financial data from, um, let's say, um, from external um, parties. And if an external party um, get an ex- get access to the data and publishes it uh, in on on Instagram. <laughs> then that's not the accountability of the data owner. Um, It's the accountability of of the um, uh, person who really misused the data. And um, and this is something people need to understand, uh, that uh, this accountability is not the accountability of the owners and the stewards.
0: But within that, do you think, because I think that's a a, – bigger question of if they granted them access and somebody and that person didn't know what was use and misuse is that, I mean, there's some common sense that has to be there, right? Like, Hey, don't just take any data you get access to and publish it. Right. Like that's, that's, you kind of, again, you can't just say you, you shall not cook crabs in your electric kettle in the room you know, you can't, you can't do that. You have to have some, but there's also a certain data where somebody like, especially in, in healthcare, I mean, I'm sure you know this cause you're, you're, you're focused on the healthcare sector, but like there's certain things that aren't personally identifiable information unless you combine them with other information that is also not personally identifiable information, but the combination Creates such a space where it's like it, it, there's only three people you in the world that have this, file, yes, yeah. This combination of 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 uh, ailments, afflictions, whatever, and so you can figure out who it is pretty easily, and and that. So, um, how do you think about that in general? And how do you think about? I mean, one thing we were going to talk about. I think this is is that plays in well to this is how do you, how do you stop writing these frightening governance policies, but that you still have people thinking, right? Should I be doing, is this, is this something I should be doing? And, and, you know, if you want to talk about it, we can talk about ethics, but like, is this something I should be doing because it's, it's, um, within compliance or is this something I should be doing because it's. It's ethical. It's not something that, you know, it might make us money, but it's not necessarily an ethical use of the data. So how, how do you think
1: about that? I think about it. I think we should try to uh, um, make the informal formal and really ensure um, rules. And th- for that, um, um, the data privacy officers, the law and compliance officers, they need to be part of the domain, they need to be part of of the data um, product team. It means, so usually um, those authorities, they're consultants in the company. Um, They know, okay, um, you need to read the policy about data retention. and. Um, find out if your data is um, um, part of, of the policy, what rules applies uh, apply to them, um, and I think that's not the right way to um, to to organize data. If you start governing a data asset, if you start um, uh, organizing data products in a data domain, the data privacy officer should set up a clear rule with um, if the data asset contains PII data um, a consent should be obtained um, and the data privacy officer should know um, what is a data asset where they publish their rules how do they maintain them and I think um, formalizing policies in um, with rules, it can really um, um, minimize the complexity of poli- of policies. Defining clear um, and crispy um, rules how data should be treated, in in what case, can really um, uh, minimize the effort people need to put in when they start working with data it can minimize the effort for the um, compliance for the law and compliance for the data privacy officers and they they are then part of this data driven um, process they are not just um, consultants and at the end we um, lack of knowledge does not protect you from the law. If you published uh, a PII data um, and um, there was maybe the rule there was the uh, reference of data privacy, there was um, 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 an opportunity to to get more knowledge about, publishing a data product um we i don't think that um, in this case we need to blame the uh, the decentralized uh, model i think um at the end uh, people are responsible for their uh, actions but um there are many proactive um organizational um opportunities that uh, that can really mitigate the risk and um, stop people from misusing the data because they don't know uh, where to look it up or they are not informed.
0: Well, and I think what you're talking about as well, what what a lot of people have said. So I don't want to put this uh, words in your mouth, but that there you want to have kind of the basic frameworks. And and that you have these rules, and that if somebody's going to go against uh, or or push back on a rule, or ha- if there there is a fast answer to questions, right? And if something is really complex, then it may go to a bigger group. That's like okay, we do have to really dive into this, but that it's more. The domains can make the decision because you're empowering them with the knowledge, right? And it's not necessarily ahead of time where you have to learn. You know, it's, um, you think about what doctors have to go through and how much medical school they have to go through to know how to do procedures. But even a lot of the procedures, they don't know exactly how to do ahead of time, because you can't say, okay, you're going to be a doctor. Therefore, you must know absolutely every aspect of everything with being a doctor versus, you know, um, okay, you're going to be a surgeon, we're going to teach you within this practice, what you have to learn about these surgeries. And when a new surgery comes up, you've got to learn about it. But we're not going to tell you, you have to know every single surgery ahead of time, right? And I think a lot of what you're talking about there is set up clear rules that are applied to 70, 80% of the informational access and use and things like that. And when it's 20%, you've got people that you can go to that have the knowledge to help you guide through it, but that they're they're guiding you through it based on your domain knowledge instead of you're trying to transfer all your domain knowledge so they can make the decision instead of you're trying to get the governance knowledge out of them. And it's, it's situate situationally dependent on that. So they don't have to share all of their governance knowledge versus trying to share all of your domain knowledge so they can make a decision and, and like getting access control There's a lot of, you know, Orpheum came on and they were talking about, they tried to do automated access control and they found it incredibly difficult, but, you know, they're a 250 person startup. So it's not a huge, huge organization. So when there's a request, there's a, an SLA turnaround time as to somebody wants access to this let's talk about why you want to use it. And boom, yes, you get access, right? It's not a six week journey of going up and down and things like that. It's like that person can get access to, you know, to ask, can I have access to this data? And there's a, like, you know, within business hours and things like that, you know, it's sensible, but like a two, three hour SLA of somebody saying, you know, so it's not, Oh I didn't even know why I was asking for that. I don't know. And and that there's like an immediate conversation Andrew Jones talked about this as well of when there's a request for data it generates a meeting, right? And and so that it's not just like can you put all of your context into a thing and then I read it and just apply all of my context to it and then say yes or no versus well what why do you why do you need that? oh, you're actually trying to get to this information. I get that you thought it would be in this way, but it's actually better in this way and it's richer in this way. And there isn't any compliance issues if we do it in this way. Let's do it that way, right? That, that collaboration, that like value add, and like that you're talking about setting setting up the conversations between these people to be value, high context, high value exchanges, because it's, it's, it is it's somewhat about, okay, can I have access to this? But you're also setting them up to be like, why? What are you trying to do? Instead of it's a yes or no decision immediately, you know, is this approved or is this not approved versus getting people, you talked about that very early in the conversation of getting people to just talk to each other and how much value that provides. So yeah, I, exactly. I think you've, you've put that throughout the whole conversation. I think that's really important points to emphasize.
1: Yes, this this topic it thrives on communication. It doesn't thrive on on um, and on, on missioning. <laughs> Why should people do that? Why should they change um, their um, daily work routine? Why should they externalize and formalize their knowledge? Because I think this is the main goal of uh, the decentralized. Uh, approach of the decentralized access to the data to um uh, overcome the silos and the silos are not only in a data warehouse the silos are also in the head of the people sometimes they don't and that's not um on purpose they 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 don't understand that um um writing um, reference how the data were collected um, a year ago will help proactively a user to understand why a new attribute came into the data asset Um, or so small details but that are maybe um, small for for the data for the, the the data steward who who is working with the data they they can be big help for the data consumers for the people working and uh, um trying to uh, set up their reports and uh, analysis on the data and this is what the decentralized governance approach tries to do um the first thing is really to formalize the informal to um, centralize the knowledge in domain close to the source, to organize it with the um, experts um, in in the different areas, and and to um, really to to formalize it with rules, to link the rules to the data, and then to um, to offer it. To the uh, wide audience in a self-service structure, um, and this is this is the the first step every single company needs to do to um, uh, organize their information, withdraws responsibilities, and to let everyone, um, regardless of the background, to access this metadata about the data. And when it comes to um, uh, Accessing the the physical data, maybe to to work with data. In this case, um, all the externalized knowledge about about the data is it is it medical data? Is it sales data? Is it is it H R data? Does it contain PII GX specific data? All this knowledge helps to understand why I'm not allowed to use it. Why um, shouldn't uh, GXP data used on a not GXP um, certified platforms um, and and so on? And I think access is not only I can um, see the data or uh, I can't see that. It's a little bit... Um, uh, more complex than people think um, it is.
0: Yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, I think that's all. I, I I wrote down a lot of that, especially the I like the centralizing the knowledge in the domain because centralization isn't the enemy, right? Like a lot of these things where people think. I, I had this conversation on LinkedIn of somebody saying everything must be decentralized for data mesh to work is 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 what they think that Jamac has been saying, and it's like no no like read read a little bit deeper it's it's that there's the centralized team that becomes the bottleneck and that there's centralized decisioning that becomes the bottleneck when it's when there's too much context but within the domain they're the ones who know the context and so if you give them the capability to make decisioning they can come together and it's not they're not the bottleneck uh, and, and and they still can be and that's when you start to say what should be centralized, what should be de- decentralized and everything's on a slider and all that. So, well, um, Mariana, this has been a, a really great conversation. Is there, um, I, I mean, I know we had planned on covering some additional things, but is there anything that, that we didn't cover that you think, uh, we really should have or that other people in the future need to, to discuss more or any way you'd want to wrap up the, the episode in general?
1: mm. I think that um, yes, we um, talked about the most crucial um, element of the um, uh, digitalization journey, and that is the people mindset. We don't digitalize organization; we change uh, the way people are working and uh, meeting decisions. And um, this can work only um, if the the people are picked up at the right level, and this works with the right communication and uh, with the right incentive for the people uh, Why should well, and the explanation, why should they do that? Uh, why should they um, change it? And the governance is really about what should I do to improve my daily working routine with the data? Um, and um, how should I share my, my knowledge about the data that is there anyway? And um, how should I um, give the others access to those data? And this access is not only through um, um, access to the physical data, is also Access to the information, um, the metadata about the data. What are data about? Who is responsible for that? And um, I think these are the most important elements of uh, the data-driven um, uh, journey. And um, this this thought should come from the sea level. It should come also uh, from the um, working staff, but um, it should be communicated throughout the organization in a very consistent way.
0: Yeah, I think that I think that all makes sense. And and you said earlier as well, like, what are we actually trying to share information for? Are you trying to share it as? Um, information so somebody can just have the data or are you trying to share the insights or are you trying to share the insights and the so what, right? Like, I think that's, yeah, I think being explicit about why are you actually having an information exchange is it, it, that, that was kind of woven throughout, I think of, of a lot of what you said. So um, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people that would love to follow up with you. Uh, where's the best place that uh, for people to follow up? What would you like them following up about?
1: LinkedIn is um, so far the best um, place to, to reach out.
0: Any specific topic, or just kind of data governance in general, or anything, or what's what's the thing that you'd really want people to?
1: Um, I'm really interested in um, data literacy, um, in um, in in all the different um, data analytics topics, um, data governance, and data quality are. Uh, for sure, the most interesting topics I'm uh, working on right now, but everything around data is interesting to me. So, feel free to reach out.
0: That's, that's kind of me too. I, as people see, I jump from ep- from topic to topic across episodes. So, well, uh, again, uh, Mariana, this has been such a, a great thing. So, thank you so much for your time today, and thank you as well, everyone out there, for listening.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: I'd again like to thank my guest today, Mariana Heborn, lead of data governance for the healthcare sector at Merck Group Germany. You can find a link to her LinkedIn in the show notes as per usual. Thank you. Hopefully that interview episode was really useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show, from these episodes. Most have said they'd really love people to reach out to them. And please, as well, if you've got a minute, rate and review the podcast somewhere. It really is honestly super helpful for other people looking into kind of data podcasts to kind of get this in front of them. Data Mesh Radio is again provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It's produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. In April of 2023, I left Data Stacks, who were wonderful in getting the Data Mesh community stuff started. So give them a shout for streaming and real-time AI needs. But I left to start my own industry analyst kind of information as a service firm our offerings are affordable and you can do them on a one-off or a month to month basis you know read kind of throw it on the credit card don't worry about like going through purchasing and things like that the services include lots of practitioner roundtables you know one-on-one data mesh kind of planning or feedback sessions and tailored introductions to other data mesh practitioners that are focused around your topics of interest you know what what are you actually running into challenges with we also have some free programs around introductions and roundtables that people can kind of check out as well Check the show notes or just go to datameshunderstanding.com for more info or helpful resources. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch as well. And have a wonderful rest of your day. Now let's hear that funky outro music.